podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Current and former athletes, members of the athletic department, and of course the best fans in the country all make up a very special group we like to call the Cyclone Family. Join me, Jamie Steyer-Johnson, as I bring you closer to the people that make Iowa State unique each week on the Cyclone Family Podcast. Some names you may know, while others may be new to you, but one thing's for sure, this is one family reunion you won't want to miss. Each week on the Cyclone Family Podcast. And welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I am your host, Andy Mitz. Today we are enjoying yet another Kansas Jayhawk trip to the Final Four. Yes, that's right. They beat Miami. Uh, by a whole bunch of points, it was 76 to 50 in the Elite Eight. Uh, honestly, it was the blowout that we have been waiting for from this team against a decent opponent. Uh, it has finally come. And to, of course, help me to celebrate, to talk about everything here, look at all the takeaways. Um, and really, we're going to focus on this game, not look ahead to the matchup against Villanova. But uh, to help me do that, it is Steve Fetch, one of our analysts over at Blue Wings Rising. Fetch, how are you doing today? Good. How are you doing? I am doing absolutely fantastic, if you couldn't tell. Um, yeah. look, this game was super nerve wracking in the first half. And we'll talk about why, obviously, as we get there. But the second half was literally everything that we have been saying on this podcast, both you and then all the other guests that, you know, all, all the other Kansas guests that I've had talking about this is what we wanted to see from this team. This is the full potential, quote unquote, unlocked for the Jayhawks. But, uh, let's, let's start with the good because we'll jump into the bad stuff here in just a minute. Um, what was the most impressive part of that second half to you? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, all it kind of, I guess, ties in for the whole game, but really the fact that, you know, Kansas, as far as I can tell from looking, and I, I may have missed the game, but uh, I believe Kansas just held Miami to their worst offensive performance of the Ken Palm era. So going back to 2002, uh, this was point, 0.69 points per possession or 69 points per 100 possession, uh, lowest uh, in Ken Palm history uh, for Miami. So, um, I'm pretty sure that's where you got to start, you know, Kansas, uh, you know, just, just dominated the, the defensive end of the floor, mostly in the second half, but really the first half they, they played okay as well. Um, thought Bill Self made some really nice adjustments. Um, some of that actually, you know, what they did offensively in order to, you know, attack certain players defensively and, and get them into foul trouble and stuff like that. And, you know, really forced Miami to play some lineups that they really didn't want to play in the second half there. And, um, you know, Dewan Harris specifically, you know, really took Cameron McGusty, uh, out of the game. Um, he had an okay night, you know, overall, but in that second half, I mean, he just kind of disappeared and, and wasn't even getting the ball for long, long, uh, stretches at a time. So, um, I think Ochai Baji was the Ken Palm MVP, if I remember correctly, but, you know, yep. I, 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 I might give it to Dewan Harris, you know, he had three turnovers, which is a little unsightly, but, but the way he played defense was so incredible and, uh, Kansas, you know, tough to say they wouldn't win without him, obviously, given the way that they played, but um, just just a tremendous performance by him. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things, and one of the shortcomings of the the MVP, you know, that, that Ken Palm gives out is that it is definitely much more statistical-based. Um, it's hard to quantify those sorts of things that don't show up in the box score, don't show up in the stats that he actually collects for those guys. So, um, I, you know... I, I don't know that I'm quite as willing to go just as far as you are in terms of talking about how important Harris's impact was for the Jayhawks there, but it was definitely a huge improvement kind of from what we've seen. And if Harris is not going to be an offensive spark plug, which 
we don't really expect him to be. Like, that's the kind of defense he has to play to justify the amount of time that he actually sits in the lineup. And and don't get me wrong, I absolutely love the fact that we have the ability now with two different point guards, uh, to, you know, to kind of get those guys out there to run both of them at the same time. It makes it a little interesting in terms of who else sits on the bench then, whether it, you know, it's Jalen Wilson or if it's one of these other guys. Um, but sorry, I'm looking at your cat that's at your, uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, over yeah. your camera. It's oh, absolutely yeah. fantastic for all those guys that yeah. are that are probably not going to get to see this video, but that's all right. You know, podcasting is a visual medium after all. Um, but I mean, I honestly kind of, to your point, defense was the super, super impressive thing here. I did not realize when you first told me that stat that it was in the entire Ken Palm era. I literally thought it was just this season you were talking about. So that makes it even more impressive. Um, you know, kind of to go along with that, Kansas has now hit that magical threshold of, you know, they have both an offense and a defense that's in the top 20 in Ken Palm. Um, I, I, I don't, I actually meant to go back and look at how many different teams it was, but the vast majority of the national champions end the year with, you know, top 20 in both offense and defense. And Kansas is now kind of in that sweet spot there to be, you know, where, where you would expect them to be. Um, but that performance in the second half was absolutely phenomenal. I think I was most impressed by the fact that, that Sam Wardenberg, the guy that we were all worried about, you know, down low, um, being able to kind of do a whole bunch of stuff down there. He had their highest offensive rating. He only took, or he only used 9% of their possessions, though, only scored five points. They really took him out of the game entirely. And of course, part of that was, was foul trouble. Um, he, he fouled out with, I think, almost 10 minutes left in the game. So it's not like he wasn't actually on the court. Like the only reason he only got 28 minutes is because he was fouled out for the, for the vast majority, or for a good portion of that second half there. So, Kansas did a good job to make him extremely ineffective, uh, which really made it difficult for Miami, especially in that second half, to really figure out what else they could try to do to attack the Jayhawks. Yeah, you know, lots of uh, – I thought Kansas played okay defense in the first half, but Miami still had, you know, quite a few good drives to the basket and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I'd be interested in seeing, like, a, a turnover rate for the first half or the second half because Miami's only at 19% for the game. But um, I would imagine – you know, the second half was about double the first half in terms of turnover rate. Um, but yeah, you just look across the board and Kansas pretty much dominated, um, you know, 47% from two is, you know, not, not like a, you know, a vintage bill self defense, but certainly good enough to get the win most of the time, obviously, you know, talk, talk about the, the Providence game in, in this game, you know, with Miami being three of 21 from three, I don't have the Providence um, amount up, but, you know, certainly didn't shoot the ball well from three and, uh, that's probably the most surprising thing, right? Is that, you know, they didn't have an opponent shoot about 80% from three against them. But, um, you know, we knew Miami probably wasn't going to hit the offensive glass too much. And, and they didn't, you know, just five offensive rebounds, 13% of their missed shots. Um, and I just kind of said before the game, if, if Kansas can, you know, really limit their turnovers and limit the opportunities that Miami has in transition where they can get kind of a second, uh, you know, opportunity, I thought they'd have a good chance to win just because, um, offensive rebounding really has kind of been their kryptonite on the defensive end of the floor this year. And, and Miami really doesn't do that. So that's part of what made me so confident going into this one. And um, I mean, you saw it in the second half, it was one and done a lot that um, Kansas got a lot of runouts uh, off those missed shots and everything. And um, I, I think it's, it's, this team is kind of turning into uh, a little bit of what Bill South wants on defense where they make it really, really tough on you to get a good first shot. And Miami didn't get a lot of good first shots and they don't crash the offensive glass, and that added up to you know a lot of empty possessions for them. Yeah, I mean, to your point, talking about the turnover rates first and second half, I, I, I have it split down by half in terms of the number of turnovers. 
Um, I think you'd actually be surprised to know that they, you know, they only had, they had six turnovers in the first half and eight in the second half. And it's okay. not like there was a lot of additional offense rebounds or anything like that. So it definitely seemed like, um, they didn't necessarily cause more turnovers, but they, they seemed to be much, much better, you know, in terms of challenging the shots. And, and, you know, I think that's the thing that really kind of jumps out to me is that when you look at the field goal percentage, um, Miami shot 48% in the first half. They only shot 21% in the second half. And that's really what it was is that Kansas, I think, did a lot better about challenging what it was that they were doing uh, and really making it difficult for Miami, for Miami to get any good looks. Um, I mean, that's the kind of defensive performance that you really expect. And Miami was a team that I believe was like 19th in Ken Palm uh, in terms of overall offensive, offensive efficiency coming into this game to be able to hold them to such a low number is absolutely phenomenal. That's exactly what you want to see from this defense. And I, I, you know, I talked about it with, with Brendan before this game, and we've talked about it in the last week or so that this is a team that is much, much better defensively than they looked at the beginning of the year, which is what you expect the Bill Self team to do to be able to develop throughout the year. But I don't think anyone expected it to be this drastic, especially from guys like Remy Martin, who was having some defensive issues early in, in his playing time. Um, but the team as a whole just seems to be able to kick it into another gear and clamp down and really turn it up at times. And it snowballed on Miami like crazy here. Yeah, I, I mean, I certainly didn't expect this team to turn in this kind of performance. And I certainly didn't expect them to make a final four largely off the back of their defense. You know, the offense has been good in spurts. And um, obviously, I think it was pretty good in the second half today. But, you know, really, the defense kept them in the game in the first half. And then the defense, you know, suffocating Miami won the game for them in the second half. So, you know, you go back to, you know, January, December, whatever, when we were talking about the the team and it was all their offenses second third and Kempom and all this stuff and if the defense can just catch up a little bit they'll have a chance to make a deep run and, and here they are and it's almost like the offense has to catch up to the defense now in order for them to to win it all next week yes and uh yeah I, so so let's jump into individual players at this point because you know we could spend quite a long time talking about the overall team but there was a lot of really good individual performances, but I think the thing that jumps out to me the most, first of all, I, I don't know that I can really pick a guy that was definitely the MVP of the, of the team here, right? Like I know that Kem, Kem Palm has assigned it to, to Abaji based off of yeah. the metric that he has, but I could make a good argument. Well, you've already made an argument for Harris. I can make an argument for Brown. I can make an argument for Abaji. I can make an argument for McCormick, for Martin. I can even make an argument for Wilson, who only got five points in this game but was absolutely killing it on the boards and had a huge, you know, some huge offensive rebounds to really open up opportunities for Ochai to hit that three and for other things like that. So, um, I mean, I think that's probably the biggest thing to come out of here is that in contrast to what's happened the first few games, they didn't need one person to absolutely go off like Martin did in, yeah. you know, in, in the round of 32 and in the sweet 16, they had everybody going off for a good portion of the second half. Yeah. I think, correct me if I'm wrong. I think that was, Wilson, who had the the pass to Ochai in the corner for that three early in the second half. I mean, Correct. that was that seemed like a really, really big turning point in that game. I mean, that's kind of when I went from, and I don't know, I, I could dig up the win probability, I guess, but that's when I went from, okay, if they, you know, keep the start of the second half up, they got a chance to, okay, they're probably going to win the game. So um, that was a huge play. You're right. I mean, Ochai um, making both of his threes. God, that was nice to see. A um, couple of turnovers, including a, a pretty terrible pass in the first half there, but um, you know, six of 10 on his twos, four steals. I mean, he, you know, 
too early to say he's back, but I mean, just an incredible game. And if they get this Ochiabaji going forward, um, you know, they got a chance to do something pretty special next week. So, um, yeah, he was great. I mean, I mean, Dave, what he scored the first seven points of the second half. And I think we never saw him again in the second half. Um, hopefully that was just a, a lineup deal rather than him being hurt, but now he's got another week to rest up and, you know, hopefully he's at his best next week. Cause obviously when he's going well, it, it just adds another dimension to the, to the Kansas offense. Um, you know, I've already talked about Dewan Harris and, and his defense. He was great. You know, Remy Martin came in and, and was kind of a spark plug, not his best game, I, I think. Um, but a couple of really nice passes. Obviously he made a, a huge three, um, and you're in Christian Brown, um, four assists, zero turnovers, um, pretty good defense. I think for most of the game, he got blown by a couple of times, but, but for the most part played pretty well defensively. Um, and then obviously, you know, I don't know how much you give him credit, but it was his three pointer where Wardenberg finally fouled out, which was just a kind of a bad play by him. I mean, that was a pretty yeah, good three. Bad. I don't know how you're ever going to get to that, but, um, I remember even saying to myself, like, even if he misses all three of these free throws, I'd rather have the, the foul and have him out for the rest of the game than, than to have the three points. I mean, that was, that was a huge turning point in that game. They were obviously up by enough already at that point. But, um, you know, when he fouled out, I, I think that kind of spelled the end for Miami for good. Yeah. I mean, really at that point, what it did, and, and I think a big reason why we didn't see McCormick much, um, it, it made it so that Kansas with Mitch Lightfoot out there could, basically do whatever they wanted. Like Mitch Lightfoot at that point, once Wardenberg was gone, um, could pretty much bully around the rest of Miami's line. And he was hot at that point. Like, you know, he was getting good blocks. He was doing a lot of good stuff. For, and I, actually, I'm looking, he only got one block on the game, but I could have sworn I I thought he had at least three or four in this game. So um, he, he probably affected uh, several shots that didn't actually get credited for the block. Right. But, um, you know, he seemed to be all over the place. He was playing really well. And I think... Kind of like to your point, you know, you don't necessarily need McCormick to be the guy for a full, you know, 40 minutes. You really need him to be able to be super effective when he's in. If you can get 20 to 25 super effective minutes from him, that's probably all you need from him with all the other weapons that they have here with the abilities that Mitch Lightfoot does have to come in and spot McCormick and all of that stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, they, this was like the perfect storm of everything happening in that second half for them to be able to get all of that back. I, I'm definitely frustrated with some of the stuff that happened in the first half, and we'll, and we'll talk about that here in just a minute. But to your point, you know, threes weren't falling in the first half. Um, they kind of shied away from them. But I don't remember. I believe it was Christian Brown who hit the first three of the game for the Jayhawks. It was either him. Yeah, because, because that, that Ochai one it in the was, corner yep. came later. Um, Brown finally hitting that three just seemed to take, the, you know, the lid off the basket for the Jayhawks from three. They poured in a good three or four of them almost immediately right after that, um, which really broke the game open at that point. But, uh, you know, I think that that was really kind of the big hesitancy. And, and the nice thing to see was that Brown finally just decided, okay, fine, I'm going to go ahead and shoot it. And he made right. it. Um, yeah, I, I just, I, I think this was the game that we needed to see from all of these guys where they all finally put it together and had a good run of 10 to 15 minutes to close out a game that you can potentially use as momentum. Because it seemed to me all weekend long and even last weekend that everybody was tentative. Everybody was trying to figure out, okay, well, when are we going to get going? Like, are you going to get going so we can all get going? Or, you know, like o Ochai was looking to Christian to do it. Christian was looking to Ochai. You know, they were all looking around trying to figure out who was going to be the guy to really spark the entire team. And luckily it all seemed to happen at once for him. 
Yeah, it sort of was almost like, uh, you know, I, I've kind of noticed this in a couple other games and I'm, you know, no psychologist, obviously, but it almost seems like they're they're overpassing and trying to look for the perfect shot rather than just a good shot. And, you know, a lot of times a good shot is good enough. You know, um, Christian Brown, obviously passing up the open threes, I was getting uh, incensed with everyone that he would pass up in the first half. Yeah, we saw on um, but Twitter. I mean, <laughs> but I mean, even, you know, the ones where like, you know, Jalen Wilson would be sort of guarded and he would shoot it. And he's obviously not a great three-point shooter, but a lot of times that can be better than, you know, the extra passes because you're not going to turn the ball over. And also you're going to have a, an opportunity to get an offensive rebound. And especially off a three, you know, you can get those long rebounds and, and get it and, you know, have the defense scramble and either get a, a wide open shot or a, you know, easy drive to the lane and stuff. So I think they probably just need to be a little bit more uh, quick on the draw and, and, you know, not look for that perfect play and um, just try to, you know, try to shoot it a little bit more. I think that would be my one, um, I don't know if complaint is the right word, tough to have a complaint the way that it happened, but but my one constructive criticism for next week. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where they have so many options that it's almost like they seem to default to, oh, well, I can't possibly be the best option for this shot when they have so many good ones, you know, and, and I, I always forget who the quote gets ascribed to, but they, you know, the, uh, the, you know, I'm not even going to try to actually get the quote, but essentially the idea behind the quote is that you, 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 you try to get it too good, right? Like, like you don't, uh, you have plenty of options that are good enough, but you try to find that, that perfect one. And, and, you know what? I think it's the enemy of good is, is perfection or something like that, where you're trying to get it perfect. When you and you pass up a lot of other good opportunities that are good enough for what you're trying to do, um, you know, and 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 we see that a lot, I think, with this team, where they try to make that extra pass, which is great if you can pass to somebody, but more often than not, that that extra pass usually goes to a guy like Dewan Harris, who just doesn't want to shoot, <laughs> right? Which which is a problem, and so right. we need to. I think they need to get to the point where they are more willing to shoot, and we started to see that. Ochai was. Definitely a, a little bit quicker on the draw in, in the second half there, especially towards the end. Um, seeing them kind of get over whatever that psychological hurdle was to keep them from from just firing away when they have a, a halfway decent shot um, is probably going to be the biggest thing that they can take into next week. So, um, yeah. So uh, let's go ahead. We'll jump a little bit over. I do want to talk a little bit more about that first half, but uh, but let me tell you, other things we can take into next week, um, you personally, uh, listener can take from here, sponsor here on the podcast, home field apparel, take one of those fantastic shirts into next week into the final four, uh, home field apparel is the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel anywhere. They have t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, joggers, all kinds of great stuff. They have more than a hundred different schools, including the Kansas Jayhawks. They're adding more schools all the time. Uh, they have fantastic vintage logos on all of their apparel. It is super comfortable. It is absolutely something that you would want to have. Um, if you go over to homefieldapparel.com, you can take a look at everything that they have. I have not seen a Final Four shirt yet. I was led to believe that they were going to try to have Final Four shirts for the teams that made the Final Four, and I was very disappointed to not see it yet. Hopefully, that's still coming. I'll have to bug them incessantly like I bugged them to actually get the Kansas lineup, and we'll see if it actually works this time again. But... If you head on over, head on over to homefieldapparel.com, you can take a look at everything that they have. I did happen to notice, and they actually made this quite prominent. There are um, three teams that are in the Final Four that all have home field, and one that a lot of people seem to be, you know, slobbering all over if they're in the media. That I'm sure a lot of fans would love to see home field 
magic do its work and knock them out of the final four here. So, um, but head on over to homefieldapparel.com. Use promo code chalk 12. You can get 15% off your entire first order. But I had a lot of great shirts you're going to want. I have way too many of them and I'm always looking to add more. Look, that, that strut of destiny shirt is one that is high on my list. It is absolutely going to be the next thing I'm going to buy from the St. Peter's Peacock. So, but again, one last time, homefieldapparel.com, promo code chalk 12 gets you 15% off your entire first order and all orders over a hundred dollars have free shipping. All right, Fetch, I want to talk about the rest of what we're going to take away from this game. But but before we do that, I do need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Basketball season is finally here, Big 12 fans. And for your home for men's and women's basketball, come to Midwest Madness. We are doing game coverages, going over game analysis, different rankings of teams, and consistently looking at the best matchups in the conference you're not going to want to miss out on all the amazing basketball coverage we have, so go check out Midwest Madness. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're back here with Steve Fetch, one of our analysts here at Blue Wings Rising, uh, chatting about, obviously, the Jayhawks winning in the Elite Eight, heading to the Final Four uh, to face Villanova. Look, it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows in this game. There was a very, very stressful first half, and we've kind of talked about some of the things that changed in that second half, but was there anything that kind of stuck with you from that first half that didn't get completely wiped out by just how dominant they were in that second half? You know, I mean, not really, to be honest with you. I mean, I think um, it'd be interesting to see like a a shot quality map or something like that, because it really did feel like they were getting pretty good looks the whole first half. Um, Some of them were, you know, kind of these, these mid range jumpers from like Jalen Coleman lands, which maybe aren't the best shots in the world, but they're still open jumpers and, and you'd figure they'd make, one out of two instead of zero out of two or something like that. But um, I, I think they played better than the stat or than the, the score would suggest in the first half. Uh, just like I said, they were getting some, some pretty darn good open looks and, and just, you know, flat out missing them. And um, you know, you, you knew that an adjustment defensively be defensively, excuse me, would be coming. Um, one thing I mentioned way back when the bracket was first revealed, when a lot of people were terrified of, of Keegan Murray in Iowa playing Kansas is that, I wasn't really worried about Iowa because Bill South is one of the best coaches, frankly, that I've ever seen at, at if you have a dominant perimeter perimeter player, um, he'll take that guy out of the game. So Cameron McGusty comes out and has a great first half. Um, they adjust and, you know, he does nothing in the second half. So um, you'd like to see those adjustments maybe come a little bit before halftime, I guess, but, you know, obviously halftime is when you reset and have more time to talk to the guys and stuff. So um not not the best first half. Obviously, you, you don't want to go down six at halftime at any point. And I think they probably need to clean up those last, you know, four or three minute stretches of the second half where or of the first half, excuse me, where, you know, I think they were ahead with three minutes to go. And then they go into halftime down six where that's not great. But um, other than that, I, I thought they played actually reasonably well in the first half. Yeah. And and that stretch that you're talking about, I, I believe that was when Wilson had to sit on the bench because he had two fouls at that point. Um so threw out some really weird lineups at the end of the first half. And I think a decent amount of that was due to foul trouble. But the main thing that we learned there, I'm fairly certain is that you, you can't have Ochai and Wilson on the bench or Ochai and Martin on the bench at the exact same time, because there isn't much left, right? Like there is yeah. like, you need at least one of those guys to kind of get things going. Um, So yeah, I mean, that's going to kind of be the biggest thing for me is that, you know, it leans into self needs to kind of stick with most of his rotations. You know, there was a KJ Adams sighting at the end of the half, which I thought he played some really good defense on that last possession. But, uh, you know, 
Thankfully, he was not in there for a whole bunch of time until they got all the scrubs in, you know, and then of course in foul trouble mode at the end of the first half. So, I mean, I, I thought overall there really wasn't a lot uh, to, to take away to be super upset with because of how dominant they were in the second half. We have been talking it's only a matter of time before they go ahead and put everything together. So um, it looks like they finally did that. Now the question is, is that momentum going to carry over into the final four? Um, you know, the final four, let, let, you know what, let's, let's go into, I, I didn't want to spend a lot of time on it, but let's go ahead and talk about it briefly. Um, thoughts about the, the overall final four bracket that we have now that North Carolina has, uh, defeated the upstart St. Peter's Peacocks, unfortunately. Um, you know, we have Duke in North Carolina on one side, which I'm going to tell you, I'm not super happy about that one, but it is what it is. And then Kansas Villanova on the other side. Um, looking at that final four, like what are, what are the things that come to mind immediately as kind of your quick reaction to that? Yeah. Well, I, I mentioned this, but I, I can't think of a better way if, if Kansas is going to win a national title, I can't think of a better way to do it than, you know, exercising those 2018 and 2016 demons against Villanova and then either beating North Carolina or, you know, beating coach K in his last game. Um, so uh, obviously you'd love to play like, uh, you know, Texas Southern and then, uh, you know, Mount St. Mary's and then Norfolk state or something like that in the final four, and just have a free national championship, but uh, tough to, tough to make it and tough to, tough to win a national championship without beating some really good teams. And um, I think Kansas matches up reasonably well with all three of the other teams. So um, it could have been a lot worse as far as teams on the other side. And uh, I, th- I think it's going to be a, a really fun final four. Yeah. It's one of those things. Like I was looking at the betting odds, and and Duke right now has the best betting odds by just a little bit over the Jayhawks. I think that at least part of that is one people are kind of overreacting to the offensive explosion that Duke had against Arkansas. Um, and then two, it's there's a lot of uh, narrative driven betting. I think in terms of everybody wants or yeah. there's a lot of people that want to talk about Coach K going out on top. Um, which let me tell you, ugh, I really don't care about that too much yeah. at all. Like I really hope that doesn't happen. Someone has to stop him. Is all I will say. Um, but you know, I, I do think it's one of those things. The other thing you have to remember is that betting lines are set in such a way that you're going to get good, you know, you're going to get good action that people are going to look at them kind of relative. And, and so a little bit of the public behavior will go into those. I think if you put them on a neutral court right now, that Kansas probably is the favorite. Um, I think they just, they grade out better, like in terms of, if you look at the, the analytics and the metrics and all of that stuff. Um, I do think the betting public though, is probably going to lean towards Duke because, People just seem to think for whatever reason that coach K is going to get it done in his last year. So, um, you know, it's one of those things. I I think Kansas is in a really good situation here. They should be heavily favored against Villanova. I saw that open up at at four for Kansas. I I would not be shocked if it goes higher, especially with Justin Moore of Villanova being confirmed, being out with a ruptured Achilles. I saw that live and my immediate thought was, Oh my gosh, his Achilles is completely gone. I feel really sorry for him. Um, Obviously, that helps the Jayhawks, and I'm not going to complain about getting that help, but it's not the way you want to beat, you know, a team by their second best score going down before you actually have to face them. So, um, yeah, I wonder if it, uh, I mean, obviously, obviously, you're right. I guess it, it does help, but it, it almost throws back to, you know, that Creighton game with Cockburner yeah. going down. And, you know, how do you prepare for a team where it's going to be their first game without someone? Um, it, it really does seem like those other guys kind of pick up the slack, and also you're having to, you know, go into a, a matchup where you're, you're not really sure what you're going to get. So I think it kind of negates some of the, you know, advantage that Bill self has being such a great preparer. Um, again, obviously, I mean, I'm sure Villanova would rather have them and, and uh, you'd probably rather face Villanova without them, but 
Um, I do wonder if the impact is, is a little bit overblown um, just because of that, or, or maybe I'm still just scarred by, you know, how well Creighton seemed to do without Kalkbrenner. Well, I, I think there's a big difference too, though, between having a week to prepare for a team that's lost one of their better players and having to do it 24 hours later, right? Because you can, you can definitely plan on different things. You can practice different things. You can, you know, look at a lot more tape that way to really dig into what it is that they do without that particular player on there. Um, you can't really do that in 24 hours in a hotel room before, you know, face them as a second team in a weekend. So I definitely think that there is going to be some sort of advantage from it. But again, I, I still think even if he was there, the Kansas matches up fairly well against this team. The biggest issue that I have with facing Villanova in the final four is that it's a Villanova in the final four. So, um, you know, I, I agree. We need to exercise those demons so that we don't have to be talking about this forever. Um, you know, interesting fact, or I, I guess this, this is a stat that gets thrown out though. All, all the time, every single time that Kansas and Villanova have faced each other in the in the NCAA tournament, the winner has gone on to win the national title. So, right, um, bodes fairly well for whoever wins this game going up against Duke or North Carolina. But uh, you know, hopefully, we get to that point where the Jayhawks are the ones that are winning the title based off of having beaten the the, the Wildcats. So, all right, um, so so looking at this or at this performance here against Miami, or just in general, is there anything from the first four games of this NCAA tournament, um, you know, that really stand out to you as things that Kansas is going to build on or that really affect the way that you think about Kansas going into the final four? I think it's just the fact that they're resilient. You know, they, um, Creighton gave them a bunch of really good shots in the second half and, uh, you know, Kansas withstood everyone. Obviously Providence had that big comeback. Um, I think eventually taking the lead, if I remember correctly, briefly in the second half there, and then Kansas, you know, responds with the seven zero run immediately, um, you know, down six at halftime against Miami and they come back where, you know, uh, this, this definitely isn't the most talented Kansas team uh, of my lifetime and, and not the best Kansas team of my lifetime. Um, but they're rocketing up there in terms of the toughness rankings. I mean, I, I think you could, um, you could pick out quite a few Kansas teams that were quote unquote better than them in the past who, you know, down six at halftime against Miami, they'd think, Oh, you know, here we go again type deal. But, you know, this team comes out and just imposes their will on the second half and, you know, Bill South makes some great adjustments and and they go on and win. So I think that's probably the main thing is that even if they're down by a few um, on Saturday against Villanova or, you know, hopefully in on Monday night against either uh, Duke or North Carolina, um, they're not just going to fold up shop. So, um, they're, they're never really out of it, uh, in any of these games. And, and that's probably the most encouraging thing to me. Yeah. I, I cannot honestly count the number of times in the big toe tournament and this tournament so far where I've thought, Hey, if this was the team we had last year or the team we had in, you know, 2019, I don't think they win that game. Like, I don't think that they have the ability to take the punches that they've taken so far this tournament and dig their way out of it. Um, this, to your point, is a very resilient team. That they, oh, they'll get down, but they have such a belief in what it is that they do that all it takes is that one tiny spark and they go on a gigantic run, uh, to really get things turned around. So, um, you know, I, I definitely think that, that Remy Martin has been that spark the last couple of weeks here, which is absolutely fantastic for him. I, you know, I, oh, you know what? We, we didn't even talk about it. Remy Martin was named the most outstanding player of the Midwest Regional. Highly deserved. I can't think of anyone else that actually would deserve it more. Um, there's a very, very good chance that he could, you know, if, if Kansas wins the title, there's a good chance that he could end up being named the most outstanding player of the entire tournament, which, uh, if I remember correctly, could actually make him eligible to have his name up in the rafters. So, um, 
I mean, what are your what are your thoughts on that? Would you have thought when Remy Martin came over that he would end up being eligible to have his name on up up in the uh, rafters for the Jayhawks? Even even as like the biggest Remy Martin defender, um, I, I no, I didn't see that coming. Um, just because you know the coach has to put him in the game a lot, so that just for that alone, I didn't know that it was going to happen. But um, yeah, I mean, I think even more so than wanting to win a national title, I want to see uh, the the reception he gets if they retire his number at Allen Fieldhouse. I mean, I think that would be both great and hilarious. So I think it, it has to happen at this point. Yeah, it'd be absolutely fantastic. A Jersey retirement for Remy Martin, the guy that came over for a single year that man, all of the, the entire Remy Martin saga, someone's going to write a book about that if it happens, right? Where he, you know, he comes over to Kansas, all of the drama in the middle of the season, he goes off in the tournament, wins most outstanding player and ends up getting his name up in the rafters of Allen Fieldhouse. So that would be absolutely fantastic. I am pulling for it. I mean, obviously, I think Ochai at this point being a national or a consensus national player of the year, um, or I'm sorry, consensus national alt, first um, first team All American is what I meant to say. Um, you know, he is going to be eligible. He will definitely have his name up in the rafters for everything that he's done for the Jayhawks. But uh, I am super excited to just see all of this team coming together for the potential of you know all of the the accolades that these guys are getting. Um, and yeah, I'm super excited. So before we get out of here, I don't want to belabor this anymore because I feel like we're losing some steam. So, um, before we get out of here though, final thoughts about Kansas making it to the final four. Are we losing steam? I mean, I feel like I could talk about Kansas in the final four for forever, but well then go ahead, go ahead. (laughs) No, I mean, just, just, no, I, I think you're right. I think we've kind of said everything that needs to be said. I just, you know, again, Miami came in, um, really hot offensively and, you know, again, Kansas holding them to their worst performance of the Ken Palm era. Again, there may be one out there that I missed. Um, so I apologize if so, but, um, certainly their worst performance of the season and, uh, in a game where they, they just had to have it, uh, is really impressive to me. And look, this does not make up for the fact that the 2020 tournament got canceled a, you know, a tournament that Kansas probably would have ran their way to a national title. Um, yes, I will still maintain that because we don't have to worry about upsets from that tournament because they never could have happened. So, um, you know, but Kansas was very clearly the best team that year. They have an opportunity to get the national title this year to make it back to back Big 12 national title winners. Um, you know, absolutely fantastic for the league, fantastic for the Jayhawks that they, you know, have some other members of the conference that are kind of helping prop up the, the overall image of the league and makes it even that much more special that they are now going to be, um, the hopefully are going to be the defending champions going into next year so you know they are in a really good position I know I'm getting way ahead of myself saying that they're going to go ahead and win it but I have a really good feeling about this team because for all the reasons that we talked about looking forward to all the coverage we're going to have this week talking about this trying to put this final four run into perspective you know talking about breaking down the game all of that fun stuff Uh, so make sure you that you are subscribed to the podcast that you are following the Blue Wings Rising Twitter account our Twitter account here at Rock Chalk Pod that you're, you know, following me personally as well. I'll be talking about some, some, some other stuff there. Um, but you know what? We have a lot of fun in store for us this week, whether it's what we're covering or what everyone else around. Final four weeks are fun for that reason because there's so much extra spotlight that gets shined on the, the program and all of the great stories coming out of there. So Jayhawk fans completely live it up. You know, I was going to ask you if you had a random sports minute, but I feel like we'd be doing a disservice to Kansas making it to the final four if we, if we detoured on that. So we'll just leave it at that fetch. Um, welcome to the final four. Welcome to final four week. Let's go out, live it up. Enjoy it guys. 
It's going to be fantastic. And we will see you guys on Saturday cheering again for the Jayhawks. Of course, we will have more episodes throughout the week. Don't worry. We're, we're not, we're not going away, but the next time that we're going to be talking about Kansas in action is for a game on Saturday. Enjoy it. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy looking or watching the Jayhawks down in New Orleans with an opportunity to win the national title. So, all right. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Fetch, thank you so much for joining me. If you guys have not already, again, please to go out wherever you get your podcast and subscribe to the Rock Chalk podcast. Uh, so you can get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you can give us a rating and review, five stars, nice comments, would absolutely appreciate that. Um, if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, any of that stuff, you can contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at email.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. Um, you know, we do want your questions. Your vo- uh, the voicemails, any of that stuff, you can leave us that voicemail going to anchor.fm slash rock-chalk-podcast. I will say I'm a little bit disappointed. I did not get any reactions uh, for this. I really want to hear from you guys, so please, please send me in something. So, But uh, thank you guys so much. Make sure you visit our sponsor, Homefield Apparel. Promo code CHOCK12 gets you 15% off your entire first order. Uh, but that is going to do it for us today. Thank you guys so much for listening. Fetch again. Thank you for joining me. Rock Chalk. We're in the final four. We will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk podcast. Welcome all, and yes, I want you to be listening to the Tortillas and Tanks podcast, presented by 1012 Network. If you are a fan that is of a team that has 12 wins, going to the national championships every year, that just loves to talk about all the success that your program has had, well, then you're probably not a Texas Tech fan. However, if you are a fan that just likes to really be in it every week and, and really have a real good shot at winning it, you're also probably not a Texas Tech fan. However, if you have really high highs, and really low lows, and really drink quite a bit, you might be a Texas Tech fan. So come along and party with us here at Tortillas and Takes. We're going to sit back, crack open a cold one, eat some tortillas, and as as always, we're going to stay wrecked, people. Sports Social Podcast Network.